Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Coaches, this is Coach Kevin Furtado from Championship Vision Podcast. Welcome to episode 21. Today, we're going to be interviewing Coach Sean Glaze. He's an author, engaging speaker, and fun team-building facilitator who inspires groups to have fun laughing together so they can have more success working together. His three books, The Unexpected Leader, Rapid Teamwork, and The Ten Commandments of Winning Teammates are powerful parables for building and leading great teams. As a successful basketball coach and educator for over 20 years, Sean gained valuable insights into how to develop winning teams and founded Great Results Team Building to share those lessons. Sean is a member of both the Southeast Association of Facilitators and the National Speakers Association, where he earned the distinction of Member of the Year for 2015. Today, he travels around the country delivering interactive team-building events and entertaining teamwork keynotes that deliver relevant insights into turn employees into winning teammates. Sean Glaze is also a 25-year veteran as a teacher and basketball coach, and he has been recently hired as the new Cass High High School boys basketball coach. Glaze, who was most recently the head girls basketball coach at Kill High School, arrives at Cass to take over the vacancy created when David Brock resigned to take the boys' coaching position at Dalton High School. Glaze led the Kills girls to a 46-40 mark over the past three seasons and reached the state playoffs each year. He also previously served as the boys' head coach at Woodstock High School. Coaches, let's welcome... Mr. Sean Glaze. Kevin? Hello, Sean. How are you? I am terrific, buddy. Had to get the anchor out. Apologize for that. <laughs> well, I tell you, it's a great pleasure to have you on. I tell you, I know you're a busy man. Oh, it's terrific to be here. I tell you, I've really enjoyed a lot of the guests that you've already had on the show, and I'm very much honored to be able to uh, – share with what I imagine is a pretty significant growing audience you got. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, this loves the game. Joys, you know, you know, great leaders like coming on. I'm sorry, you cut out there, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, just tell me if you can't, um, if you can't hear a question, because sometimes the Wi-Fi where I am uh, is not very good. So, um, but what I guys like your come out and share with us. So thank you so much for a great job. Oh, it truly is my pleasure. And again, I tell you what, anything I can share that can uh, help a coach that I know when I was younger, I benefited from a whole lot of insight is from other people and I think as uh, as you and your guest have shown every good leader and coach is a good thief first 
Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, I'm borrowing things all the time, uh, but I'm kind of applying it to kind of my situation. Uh, but, but Sean, tell me about how you got started um, when you were younger and so forth. How did you get involved in coaching and how, who, who had a big impact on you on becoming the great leader that you become on, on teaching others how to lead? Oh, well, again, that's uh uh, jury's still out how great, but uh, I, I absolutely I've benefited from a number of people. And it's kind of a funny story how I got started, because if you had told me when I was in high school or college that I was going to coach basketball and teach in high school, I would have laughed you out of the room. I, uh, I was going to be an attorney and I was going to you know, live a, a very different life than what I'd grown up with. And uh, sometimes providence has a way of putting you where you belong or where you can have the impact that you're intended to. And I honestly, uh, just the convergence of events that landed me in a teaching and coaching job back in 1993, I was just going to teach for a year so I could reapply to law school and, uh, ended up by Thanksgiving of that year. I let my, um, fiance who was still in nursing school at Georgia Southern know that I was where I was supposed to be. And, uh, that very first year, Kevin, I, I coached four sports. I actually did cross country and I did basketball and I did soccer and I did tennis because I didn't have anything else to do because she was in school and I was lonely and bored. So uh, I was able to spend time with the kids and pour myself into coaching. And when I coached basketball that first year, by the end of the first season, I, I really fell in love with the teaching and the intensity and the camaraderie uh, and, and the competitiveness and, and those are things that I think drew me to eventually want to be a head coach. And once I made that decision, uh, it was something where I just honestly, I poured myself into doing things like the people that are listening to your audio podcast are doing now. I just wanted to be a sponge. So I went to clinics. I went and uh, interviewed and spent time watching college coaches and practices and, uh, you know, taking people out to breakfast or to dinner and anything I could do because I didn't have a background playing the sport. I grew up playing soccer. Uh, but once I fell in love with the sport of and coaching basketball, it was something that I wanted to do the best possible job I could. So, uh, again, I don't know that I really have one mentor. The guy that invited me, John Morgan, was a tremendous high school coach there at Pebblebrook High School where I graduated and, and coached at my first few years. Uh, but beyond him, there have been, honestly, dozens of people who have had a, a huge impact upon building not just my coaching philosophy, but like you said, I think the best coaches end up using sport to teach a whole lot more than just their sport. And that's what I've had the pleasure of doing for the last many years. Yes. And I, and I tell you, it's amazing. I, as I listened to matter of fact, I, I interviewed uh, Jan Azar um, earlier today and it's amazing how coaches get started in the profession. Um, and many of them don't have the vision at that time. They just had somebody have a big impact on them and something, it's kind of something that this kind of hits them say, Hey, you know, I really love this. I mean, is that what happened to you, Sean? It's something like you didn't realize it. And then you, you kind of, kind of, kind of something hit you within you to say, Hey man, I love doing this. I have a passion for it. Yeah, and, and I couldn't have told you this 20 years ago, Kevin, but I think that sometimes uh, a little bit of age and experience gives the, the perspective you need on who you are and, and why you are. And I think absolutely that looking back, uh, I was always somebody who loved to develop myself. 
uh, and, and wanted to be better than I had been and wanted to finish in a different spot than where I started in uh, and, and athletics and, and whether it's in the classroom or the locker room, those were both opportunities for me to hopefully have a similar impact upon others. So I continue to develop myself so I can develop people around me because again, a leader isn't somebody that, that just develops followers it's to have those people become leaders themselves. And, and that really is, uh, you know, if you ask me some of the greatest accomplishments I've had in coaching, it's great to win games. And it's great to look back on the seasons that we've had, but my greatest accomplishments are the relationships that you have with some of the kids that bought into some of that and have either helped me as an assistant or have stayed in touch. Uh, and, 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 I see the life they have now and the family they have now and the business they have now being the result of some of the things that you're teaching in the midst of uh, all the other things that basketball involves. Yes. And, and you actually have a great situation now where you're, uh, and of course you're going to tell us a little bit about your, your great team building <laughs> leadership company and so forth, and, but also your coaching at the same time, you have kind of a, um, kind of a great situation where you can kind of, it's kind of trial and error. You can really try out a lot of the concepts and so forth that you're teaching. I'm really envious of that. I think it's, I think you're in a very unique situation. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for, for those that don't know, uh, in addition to, uh, you know, teaching here at the high school and, and having coached now for 26 years, uh, I'm the varsity guys coach at Cass High School now. I just took over. I'm really looking forward to building this program and, and got a good young bunch of guys that have bought in and already you know, put in a good bit of time here in the preseason. But in addition to the teaching and coaching, for the last 10 or 12 years, uh, I actually took some of the ideas that, that I had gleaned from others in terms of building a program and building a team and building leaders uh, and realized once I saw what it did to some of the players and the program that I was a part of, I wanted to share that with others. And that led to uh, team building, not just with my athletes, college athletes, and then ultimately with some school faculties and uh, corporate groups. And so great results team building, if you look up great results team building, you're just Google great results. Great results team building is the team building company uh, where I would facilitate half and full day team building events for corporate groups and for athletes and for teachers and for nonprofits and for sales groups, et cetera. Uh, all based upon the idea, honestly, Kevin, that whether it is basketball or business, that teams of people are still teams of people. And the same things that are issues in your locker room are oftentimes very similar issues in somebody's boardroom or sales room uh, or classroom. And so working with uh, teachers during pre-planning events or working with, you know, people in the medical or construction field. It's been a tremendous education for me to go outside of the classroom and locker room and see a lot of the same dynamics uh, being displayed and a lot of the same issues being addressed through some of the activities and the insights that I try and share. Yeah, it's funny how there are definitely correl correlations there. Um, it's, it's all, always about the human factor, right, Sean? I mean, it, I mean, we forget about that sometimes as coaches. I think. <laughs> well, I, you know, I tell the story sometimes when I'm, you know, at a conference or I'm working with a group about the very first head coaching job I had coaching girls basketball at Pope high school. And we end that first season, we had won five games and I'd gone in full of energy and enthusiasm and thought I was going to have this huge impact and, 
my goodness, I fell on my face and we didn't have anywhere near the season that I had envisioned. And I knew that the kids were frustrated because I was frustrated after going five and 21. And as the kids are walking out of that locker room after the region tournament loss, I watch the kids and they're walking out one by one as individuals. And, and coach is the one that actually said to me, coach, we're going to, we're going to have to do a better job with relationships. And that was the moment, honestly, Kevin, when I stopped focusing solely on the skills and the strategy that I've been consumed with. And I think that it's the same way, not just in sport, but in business where we get so consumed with and driven by a desire to, to learn more about strategy that right. we miss the fact that the number one strategy you can focus on is that mindset of valuing relationships. And that was a growth moment for me. And that's something that hopefully I've had an opportunity to share with others over the years. Yeah. And it's always what I keep hearing it's relations, relationships over strategy. I think what you're saying. Yeah. I think relationships is the most important strategy. And I think that that's where you see the greatest leaders. And, and there's the Vince Lombardi quote that I actually have on the wall in my coaching offices, you know, leaders, your coaches who can draw up plays are a dime a dozen. That was me, my first eight or 10 years coaching, honestly. Uh, it's those that can actually build relationships and get to the hearts of their players that are the, the special coaches. And I think that uh, that's true, not just in basketball, but in virtually any field where you have teams and leaders. Uh, what can you learn about your people? What can you do to bring your people together? And in the midst of a team building event, one of the most important things that I'll share is your people aren't broken. Uh, but if they're not giving you energy, they're a whole lot like a car battery. And, you know, if there's one of those cables that aren't connected, the battery may be fine, but you're not going to get any energy because you don't have the right connections. And I think that there are two connections, just like on a car battery, that you have to have to get energy from people. The first is you got to connect them to a compelling common goal. They have to know why they're there. What is that mission? What is that purpose that they're a small part of something greater to achieve? And then secondly, you got to connect them to each other so they know who it is they're fighting the battle with and they can care about those teammates. And you've probably seen this as well. Teammates don't have to be best friends. They don't have to, you know, always like each other, but they can absolutely love and appreciate the effort and the fact that they're both pouring into uh, achieving that same goal. Yes. And, I, you know, my next question is kind of along those lines. I know you've coached boys basketball. Now you're the boys basketball coach at Cass, but you've been a girls basketball coach at Kill and had and really good success from what I hear. And what are the differences in developing relationships, developing leaders between boys and girls? I coach girls, so and I've always coached. I've always mm -hmm. coached girls basketball, um, and I've been very fortunate. I, but it's it, it, there is a difference, right, between genders. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I really enjoyed my very first head coaching job was there at Pope after Coach Wheeler had left, who opened up the school and he had done a tremendous job and won a state title. Uh, and when I took over, they had been a little bit down in terms of talent. And of course, you go into a circumstance or a situation, the parents are convinced that the coach has gotten worse. And it's the same coach <laughs> that one state. You know, sometimes you just don't have the same blueberries to make great muffins. But right. of course, parents don't want to hear that. So you put in the time. And one of the things that I found, and I absolutely love coaching girls, 
love coaching guys, but as you said, I do think there's a difference, and I do not think that the difference is emotions versus egos, because I heard that when I first started coaching girls. Oh, it's, you know, you're going to get emotions, not egos, and there's definitely egos with guys, and there are definitely emotions with girls, but that's not the main difference, because I think you get both with both. What I saw as the main difference versus coaching guys my first 10 or 12 years was in a girls' locker room at halftime when I were to say, hey, we've got to start blocking out. Well, if I said that to guys, every guy is pointing to the guy next to him thinking this dude needs to start doing his job versus taking ownership and seeing that maybe you missed a few blockouts. And you got to show guys on film sometimes where they didn't do what they should have done. With girls, I found that it was far more something that they took personally, that they were far more self-critical and that I needed to be a great deal more positive with my girls' teams because I needed to give them that affirmation that sometimes doubt crept in and took away from them. I'll tell you the other thing that I think is really a huge deal for coaches to get, and it was a, a, an incredible light bulb moment for me, and I wish I knew who I heard it from because it's a tremendous quote, but it's basically this. With girls, you have to connect before you compete. And that goes back to building relationships and making it more of a social experience and give them a chance to feel like a part of something that's bigger than themselves. With guys, they have to compete in order to connect. And I know as a guy, you know, if I wanted to become closer with somebody as a, you know, build a friendship, we're going to go out and play tennis. We're going to play golf. We're going to play basketball. We're going to do something where we're competing against each other. And that gives us a chance to connect. Versus with girls, I think you need to, as a coach, often set aside and be intentional about giving them time where they can connect as people before they compete. Have you found that as well? Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And um, and that's something that, you know, we as as male coaches, coaching girls, we got to really focus on that. That's why every year I really good female coaches. More than that, I have good people that are um, that are helping me that are that are kids first um, and we really folk we really try to focus on relationships because you know as male coaches we actually focus a lot on the the x's and o's and the skills and the competing first so I gotta really have people really watch me to make sure that I'm doing it correctly when I coach girls yeah, and I think it takes an intentionality on our part as coaches because the tendency is, again, logic and reason and rationality and strategy and, hey, we can just build the skill and we can work the strategy. And one of the things that, that I share that I remind myself of constantly is, you know, culture is what you do. Strategy is what you want to get done. And you can focus solely on strategy, but culture can absolutely determine how well or if not that strategy is going to actually be implemented. And so you want to focus upon building the relationships that end up establishing the culture that allows your strategy to succeed. And, uh, you know, that's something that in terms of my weekly uh, practice plans, you know, you have a daily practice plan, but each week I want to make sure that I'm working in at least one or two activities, whether it's before practice or at the end of practice or outside of practice in the locker room, where I'm giving my kids a chance to interact and to be teammates. Because I think if we can teach them to be great teammates, then the team sometimes takes care of itself. And I think that the most important conversations that happen on a team ultimately happen without us there. 
So I want to give them the tools and the leadership skills and the relationships where they can have those tough conversations because you have connected them to each other and to that goal. And I think, don't you agree, Sean, that, that today's kid, I think they're lacking a lot in the social interactions, don't you think? And we have to, as coaches, be really intentional about really adding that to our practice plan. That should be, I mean, that should be a key part. I know I, I have to do that with my kids. Is that, is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think more and more, and, and you see that as a result of kids who have great thumbs but not so you know talented in terms of mouths because they're so, <laughs> That's so, a great used, to, they're so <laughs> used to you know texting and insta facing and link jamming and you know the the thousand other things in terms of social media and of course I'm just as guilty because I'm you've got the same social media accounts to keep up with them and business stuff. Right. In all seriousness, I think they are far more comfortable behind a screen than they are face to face. And I think that that's why there is such value in the interactive activities and, and programs that I put on, because I think that adults are largely becoming the exact same way. Oftentimes, yeah. you know, we follow, you know, the, the younger generation and a whole lot of things that, uh, that we adopt and, and that idea of screen time and living behind a keyboard in, in terms of our interactions ends up debilitating our ability to really lead face-to-face where it matters and to build those relationships and to have that authenticity and the integrity and build the loyalty that true teams really need. Yeah, I absolutely love that. That's great advice. I want to talk about um, some of your books that you're, you've written some, some really great books. And I want to, how do you create the culture of rapid teamwork? Tell me a little bit about that and how can coaches who are listening do the same thing with their teams? Can you talk a little bit about that, Sean? Absolutely. I appreciate you mentioning. Yeah, Rapid Teamwork was actually the second book that I wrote. Uh, the first one was originally called Fistitude, and then I re-released it as The Unexpected Leader. And just a real quick snippet about that. That was basically a book that I wrote because I, I wanted – my kids to have something to read that I just couldn't find at the time. This is you know, before there was a whole lot of the John Gordon who does a tremendous job. Uh, but uh, that was basically, you hear the five things that you need to focus on to lead from where you are, because that's the one thing I want my players to do is you can lead without the authority of a position. You could lead with passion and determination and hear the things that you can do. And so that was a parable that I wanted to have for, players and my son and others to read that, that would hopefully give them some tools that I saw was lacking in terms of that, that team athlete leadership. And then I started thinking a little bit more strategically in terms of building a business and speaking with team leaders and working with team leaders. You know, what did I see in terms of, you know, putting together the book rapid teamwork? What is it that I or anybody else needs to do to take a group of, you know, detached individuals and turn them into that committed, united, cohesive team. And I think that there are five things, and I use the acronym GREAT for great teams, and that's where the great results team building came from. And that acronym is basically five things that any leader needs to focus on. And rapid teamwork is a story about a group of managers going down a rafting trip and this very wise rafting guide kind of sharing some of these lessons. But basically, it is first you have to establish a goal, and then you need to build relationships, you need to set expectations, you need to provide accountability, and then you need to make sure that you focus upon the thanks um, and, and toasting 
those accomplishments along the way so they can then transfer the skills whether to that same team or to their next team because you see people changing teams and, and having different projects certainly uh, and each one of those obviously goes a little bit deeper but I think that as a coach you know I, and I, I, I say this to my son because knowing and doing are right. two very different things and as as your listeners hear me say that invariably their internal thought as they listen to this is I know that just like my son knows and he's to make up his bed, but knowing <laughs> and doing are two very right. different things. And, and I think that, you know, I'm just as guilty as everyone else who's, you know, involved in experiencing our call here today uh, in that there are gaps in my leadership that I continue to need to focus on. And, and I would challenge each listener and perhaps each eventual reader to as you go through and you pick up on those five things, you go a little bit deeper. How does that apply to your leadership and which one of those five areas do you see yourself as having a gap that you can fill and be more intentional about? And it might be being clear with expectations. It might be making sure you're holding yourself more and then giving other people a chance to be more accountable in terms of what are those phrases that your players need to share in the midst of practice? Are you giving them the tools where they can be more accountable? And that goes back to what we talked about with players not talking as much. I think sometimes we can help them by giving them phrases that become part of our culture. So they understand what is our team's vocabulary? What are those terms? What are those phrases? What are those non-negotiables that we need to continue to parrot so that our kids can pick them up? Because what gets uh, repeated gets rewarded and what gets rewarded gets repeated. Yes. I I just love how you kind of, you make, you make a very complex concept very simple by using the acronym great i love that and i'm going to steal that from you do you mind i absolutely love that that's <laughs> why i mean i love having you on because i'm always i mean leadership's a big part of our program and so forth so i am definitely going to steal one of your ideas hey t- tell me about fistitude and the reason why is every year i have a book that my team reads and i'm sure you do the same thing uh, and this year is fistitude I would love, I would love to have you come out maybe and um, you know meet our parents and our kids. I know you're probably busy, but um, I would love to have you share with our parents about the book because that's a book we're going to read this year. Tell us about Fistitude because I absolutely love the book. Well, yeah, I appreciate it, and again, I'm 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 humbled when I hear people you know share about you know. And you mentioned Fistitude. I, I think now you're going to find if you were to look at Fistitude, it takes you to the Unexpected Leader, that web page. You can find it on Amazon as the Unexpected Leader. It's the exact same story, just a different title and cover. Uh, but basically, it's a story of a high school uh, basketball player uh, who moves in and is very much driven, but has a coach that is uh, is struggling, a team that's struggling, that is talented enough, as we've all experienced, situations where you have a team that you know is is maybe underperforming for some reason. Uh, But we've also had the kid or the parent or the assistant coach or been that person that pointed the finger elsewhere instead of looking in the mirror. And I think the most important thing that you can have in life is a mirror moment when you're constantly saying, hey, somebody should do something. When you take a look in the mirror and understand that you're somebody and that you absolutely control yourself and because of your attitude and your efforts, that you can impact others and a team and ultimately the outcome of that team because of the ripples of your attitude and efforts and actions. And, uh, and so basically it's, it's a story that uh, you, you get 
somebody that comes in as an interim coach uh, who is you know a, a wise old guy that basically shares these five steps that become the fist, the five fingers in the fist. And without giving too much away, it, it basically is a recipe for anyone to leave from where they are, how you can lead a team without a title. And uh, um, it, it, it's something, you know, it, I don't know how many of your listeners know, because obviously it's more than just uh, here in Georgia, that you're being able to broadcast, but uh, I would be thrilled to be able to come and visit as long as we get to go and have some fun there on the lake. Cause you live in a beautiful, beautiful area. Yes, sir. There's no doubt. Well, you know, my, my parents, a lot of them, um, you know, have places out here. Matter of fact, Sean, I can give you a place to stay for you and your wife. If, if you guys are interested, we'll, we'll make it nice for you. <laughs> that would be tremendous. We'll have to work okay. That out. That's great. And, and I love the term unexpected leader because I see this all the time with the teams that I coach and I, I focus, I don't even consider some people say like the 12th man. I I don't consider any of my players like the 12th man, but I I do know that players all have uh, stars in their roles and the role might be, you know, just be the enthusiastic or enthusiasm leader, but I, I really love that term, unexpected leader. Tell us a little bit about that as far as even your team now. Do you have any unexpected leaders that you see? Uh, I expect them all to be leaders. <laughs> uh, I think their job as being part of the team is to be a leader. And I think that our job as coaches or our job as managers or our job as principals or as parents is to make sure that every one of the kids and individuals we have the, the benefit of influencing recognizes when they look in a mirror that they're looking at someone who leads again, huge John Maxwell fan and uh, his quote, you know, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And sometimes you can have a negative influence. Hopefully we have a positive influence, but everything we do leaves ripples. And for those kids to understand, you cannot not communicate. Even when you're not talking, that silence becomes consent. So what is it that you're willing to step up and say, what are you willing to have enough backbone and concern and passion toward accomplishing that you say, because again, they'll continue to hear from me, a quiet gym's a losing gym. The loudest team normally wins. And so we want to make sure that we're that loudest team. And that comes from in practice. What are those phrases? What do you care enough about to do something about and to say something about, because that's what I want leaders to be. And I, I think that you touched on something, that is a terrific teaching point for us as coaches and that I didn't uh, for a number of years do anywhere near the job that I wish I had about uh, because we've all got that kid. That's the number nine, 10, 11, 12 kid. And we look down the bench and they don't get quite as much and wonder how can we engage them? And then I start working with, you know, uh, school factories and I work with construction firms and I work with medical groups and I work with all these corporate entities and you look around and there's the, uh, the yearly survey where you hear about the disenfranchisement of the American worker and how everybody is disengaged and the engagement. For, and I think that there is a correlation. I think it's the exact same thing. And here's what I believe with all my heart, Kevin, and it's, you know, engagement, whether it's as part of a basketball team or as part of a corporate team, engagement is nothing more than me caring about the results that I can impact. And so as a coach, what can we do to make sure that kids see that even if you're not on the court, every person can contribute something where they're at. And then what can I do in the midst of that five or 10 minutes of film work 
where I'm not just showing the block out and I'm not just showing the taking charge and I'm not just showing the dive on the floor, but I'm showing somebody on the sideline who is, you know, barking and talking to his teammate when we're playing defense, where I'm showing somebody in the midst of the timeout, because again, what gets rewarded gets repeated. And if you can reward their behaviors with your attention, and if you can point out so that every person wearing that uniform understands the impact of their actions on the team's success, that's what improves engagement. And they're going to have kids that understand, hey, I might not get 28 minutes a game. I might not get two minutes a game, but I can absolutely keep getting better and keep growing towards being the player I want to be and be the teammate that I want to be. And that's one of the things that I'll continue to focus on with our group here is are you being a winning teammate? Are you somebody who is thinking what does the team need now instead of what do I need now? And I think that that's ultimately what's going to make them successful outside of basketball. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, it's funny you say that because when I go and scout teams, I really look for what the players are doing on the bench. I know that sounds a little crazy. Um, the teams that always worry me are the teams that have tremendous enthusiasm. The players are always engaged watching the game on the bench. I know they're well coached. Um, do you oh, look yeah. for the same thing? I, 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 I guess as I get older, I, I look for those intangibles. Yeah, we've gotten to where, you know, our video person the last many years, you know, I don't want the video to be shut off during timeouts or at the end of a quarter. We'll turn it off at the end of the half, but end of the quarter and during timeouts, I want to get the sideline. I want to see what those kids are doing because a lot of times I'm in the middle of a timeout and I don't see what's happening with that ninth kid or the 11th kid. I don't see if they're looking up in the stands or if they're looking at me and really dialed in. Uh, and those are things that you want to point out. And when they're doing the right thing, you want to catch them doing right so that they feel seen and valued. And this is, again, you know, not every job is visible, but every job is valuable. And if you can make those valuable jobs visible and the people on your team, even if they're not the star, if they can be seen as being a great teammate, they're going to continue to be. Yeah. And that's just us coaches really emphasizing that. Um, and and I, I don't, and that's something that I think we really all have to work on because we're always focused on, you know, the first five and so forth. I think, I think really the interaction of, of really the bottom eight to 12, like you said, is probably just as valuable or more valuable. Um, yeah. In terms of, of building that yes. culture and, and, you know, because it's, it's those practices in January when you really know what type of team sure. you have It's when you get in the dog days in the middle of January and you're, you're tired of looking at each other and doing very similar drills and you're asking them to still come in and work hard and their legs are bruised and they're a little bit tired and you got another region game coming up and you know it's those kids that are they still playing hard for you are they still diving on the floor are they still defending with every ounce of energy that they have because that's what makes you a great team is when you got people that still feel that same engagement because they know that their effort has a ripple effect totally, on the results. That you're yeah, I totally agree. Hey, I, I, um, I saw something that you did. You, you worked with the Cobb County travel volleyball organization. I forget the name of it, but I, um, I know you did some teaching, some, a clinic with them. And one of the questions I love that you said to them was, how do you handle mistakes? Because that's something that I really emphasize here and something that I do, Sean, and give me your feedback. Um, we have our players respond to our coaching. So if I criticize a player, they tell me rebound. And if I, 
if, if I give them a compliment, I have them repeat back to me two points. And the purpose of it is I think they need to recognize what's a positive coaching and what's a criticism. What do you think about that? No, I, I think that's huge. And that, that's, uh, I think you, you probably either from her or from someone else, you know, that's the, the old Pat. Yes, yes, sir. And she you know, tells, tells a great story about, you know, goodness, if you've got elite kids that are dropping their chins in the midst of being coached, you know, what hope do we have as high school coaches when you got kids that aren't that driven, that aren't that confident, that aren't that skilled as far as being coachable and staying up and taking a little bit of coaching and remaining resilient and hungry and, and loving the opportunity to see the gap and to fill it from where they're at to where they want to be. And so that idea of not just the rebound, but the yeah, two points. So they don't just think about the negative, but they also acknowledge the positive, I think is tremendous. And uh, no, I appreciate you mentioning the, it was Cobb Atlanta volleyball. My daughters were fortunate enough to work with as a great organization, uh, but they called me in to do some, basically some mental toughness training. Uh, and if you look at my website, I've got some of that recorded along with handouts and it's called mental toughness talks. Uh, basically we covered four different sessions, about 45 minute sessions. And each one, we talked about different things where they could not just talk to themselves in the midst of a bad moment to become more resilient, but also how you talk to, uh, and interact with your teammates so that in the midst of difficulty, you're stronger together and you respond better. Because again, every team's going to have mistakes. It's how you respond to mistakes that determines which is the more successful team. And I think that the key thing that I, that I shared with them in, in the session that you mentioned is, you know, I, I'll tell my kids and, and have told my daughters and my son and, and the players I've had the pleasure to work with, your job is to clap for mistakes. And I use that as a pretty cheesy act. First, to claim it, to don't point your finger somewhere else, to point your finger at yourself and own the mistake. Because if you're pointing somewhere else, then you're a victim and that's not going to change until somebody else changes. But if you'll claim the mistake and see what part you had in it, then you can be better. The next is learn from it. What is it you don't want to do the next time so you don't repeat it? The third thing is to affirm your ability to remind yourself that's not like me. And to not get caught up in feeling bad about missing a shot or dribbling the ball off your foot. That's not like me. Just make the next play. And that's the to play on, to make the next play because the next play is the only one you can focus on. And I think that uh, one of the key things that I shared in that session that I share with the athletes that I have the privilege of working with is that, you know, when you make a mistake, because it's not a question of if, it's when you make a mistake, your job as a great teammate is to apologize with effort. That's all any other teammate will ever expect from you. Don't stand there and pout and let the entire gym know that you're sad that you had a new air ball. Don't let the entire gym know you're sad that somebody ripped your pocket. You just got to apologize with effort. And if you'll make the next play, then you don't turn one mistake into two. And, uh, and one of the things that I think is, is one of the key takeaways that some of the young ladies in the volleyball program mentioned to me that they enjoyed hearing was that pouting is selfish. And we've all had powders on our team uh, and you don't want to be that teammate, but oftentimes as a teammate, we get caught up in thinking, poor me, et cetera, or I just missed this, or I just did so-and-so. But pouting is selfish. Pouting is thinking about yourself instead of, again, what a great teammate thinks about, what a great teammate is asking him or herself is, what does the team need right now? 
Not what do I feel like, not what do I want, but what does the team need right now? What the team needs is your effort and your voice and your intensity to get it back. Yes, and we all know, and I, we've all been there where the kid, you know, makes a turnover and they jog back. I mean, that happens all the time. Yeah. Um, that's, that's something that I focus on a lot is don't compound a mistake with a mistake. And that's something in basketball that I see constantly, and I'm not sure if it's being addressed. You make a mistake, you hustle back, get your, you know, you get yourself underneath the rim and protect the goal. I mean, uh, tell me, tell me, give me some, give me some specifics on that. How can, how can players do a better job? Oh man. I've probably got dozens of players that would crucify me for being a horrible, horrible guy early on, because I'll tell you what I was. I was the guy that yanked you after a couple of mistakes. And, and I know that I probably defended some of my players better than the opponent did just because of how I handled them as a young coach. And, and I regret, but again, you know, it's like teaching or coaching. You always feel bad for that first few years of kids that had to put up with you as you learn what to do and what not to. So, sure. so I think that what I found is there's a huge difference between a mistake and a decision. A mistake, I don't want to punish. A mistake comes from playing hard. And if you're playing hard, you're going to make mistakes. I'm not going to pull you for a mistake. Now, standing and pouting or jogging back or talking to a referee or any number of a dozen things that we've both seen as coaches that teammates will sometimes do when they're upset and pouting, that's a bad decision. Now, if you make a bad decision, if you have that frustration foul that comes up after you've made a mistake, if you have that pouty moment where you jog back or you stand with hands on your hips and you waste a second or two, those aren't mistakes. Those are bad decisions. And it's those bad decisions that I'll absolutely, you know, when they hear the horn, they'll see me on the sideline, you know, asking them to come have a seat and talk for a moment. But if you're playing hard, I don't want to, I don't want to ever punish somebody for playing hard. So that idea of taking a kid out for a decision versus a mistake is an early on conversation I had with my team. And I want to make sure I give them examples. You know, if you miss a shot, I'm not going to take you out. Now, if it was a bad decision, if you're taking a contested half court jumper, and, you know, it's a, you know, just a really hard, that's not an us shot. That was a you shot. That's a bad decision. So, yeah, that's something I'm going to pull you out. We're going to have a conversation about because we're going to talk about shot selection. But I think that a, a mistake is something where, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I turned the ball over, made a bad pass, or I missed this shot, or I dribbled the ball. You know, kids are going to make mistakes. Uh, the key is to not let that mistake turn into a bad decision, to let that mistake become something that drives me to, again, apologize with effort. Yes, and I love the clarity how you phrase that. I, I love that. Those are key notes of mine right here. Uh, I'm definitely going to add in. I love that. There, there is a big difference there. But as coaches, we got to be clear on that, don't we? Yeah, it goes back to, you know, you, you mentioned the – the rapid teamwork. I think our job as leaders is to be as clear as we can about expectations because it's not fair to the players. And this was me early on. It wasn't fair to my players to consequence them for stuff that I wasn't clear about. And I think that clarity inspires commitment by our players and it makes it a whole lot better culture because they know what to expect. And the better job I can do on the front end of giving them an idea of what our cultural expectations are and how we go about things and what our beliefs are and what our team is going to do, then that gives them a whole lot more sense of, of purpose and, 
understanding about what they need to do to be a part of that culture. Yeah, I love that. Sean, tell me about, this is one of my my issues that I, I see a lot in coaching is, is coaches being accountable. Um, and I, I see a lot of, of blame and, and defending when, the, uh, let's say my team doesn't play well, comes out with poor attitude. Well, you know, it's the player's fault, you know. But my, in my opinion, I think co- I, I would take ownership of that and accountability for that, and I need to do a better job leading them. What's, what's your opinion on that? What do you, you see that a lot? Cause I know through my eyes, I see a lot of poor accountability from coaches on that, where it's not their fault, but everything, everything is the coach's fault. I mean, or coaches are accountable for it. Good or good and bad. Well, again, you're, you're a far wiser, more experienced coach than I would have been early on, but I absolutely agree. And I think that that's what, I don't only want coaches to learn, but we as coaches need to model so our players will learn because we live in an environment uh, that in, in the world around them, people are constantly you know, playing the victim card and people are constantly pointing their finger somewhere else of I'm where I'm at and I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing because of so-and-so or because of such-and-such. And that sense of pointing fingers, again, it makes you a victim because your circumstance won't change until what you're pointing at changes. But if I point at myself, I have control to change my attitude and my behaviors and my knowledge and my effort. And so if I can change me, then I can change my circumstance. And so rather than being that victim and blaming, I think it absolutely is incumbent upon us as coaches to always be the first person to look in the mirror. And that's one of the major lessons I learned early on as a coach, after I'd stepped in a whole lot of piles of bad decisions and poor behavior, when I was complaining about the referees, complaining about the facilities, complaining about the equipment, complaining about the parents, complaining about my athletic director. But those are things that I didn't control. And I just remained a victim until I stopped and looked in the mirror and realized the one thing that I get to control is me and my attitude and my preparation and my impact on others. And once I did that, we got better. If I want the team to be better, I need to be better. If I want our responses to be better, I need to make sure that I'm building that into my practices so I give them a chance to know and to do and to, you know, get reps doing what I want to see in the midst of, you know, the game situation. So absolutely I agree. And I think that uh, that sense of ownership by a coach is something that uh, is the first step in getting our players to be owners of their situation. Because, and and I'll share this, you know, it's, you know, where you complain, you remain. And (laughs) as long as I sit and and point at somebody else, I'm going to be stuck in that same spot. But once I decide I'm going to be different, then I end up taking my team with me. Yeah, and that should be on every clinic. They should have your talk. (laughs) I mean, I'm telling you. (laughs) To me, that's so important. And maybe just after 30 years of coaching, um, I think that's huge for coaches. I, th- I think that's, you know, I think that's definitely one of the, the best things you have said uh, and great advice for coaches. Hopefully our listeners will, will heed that advice. You are now at Cass high school. I always ask coaches who are starting a new program. What is your goals for the first hundred days? What are you trying to achieve? We're winning a national championship. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I mean, 
as a young coach, it's, yeah, we're, we're, heck, we're making state, we're winning state. We're, and, and here's the thing I think that, uh, you know, there's a great book by Joshua Medcalf, uh, Chop Wood, Carry Water. And, and you've certainly, many of the coaches are familiar with the, the Nick Saban, the idea of trust the process. And those are the things that as you get older, hey, let's be better tomorrow. Let's be better at the end of practice. And can I, at the end of practice, take a moment and make sure I'm pointing that out so our kids see it and feel it and know what it is they did to get them better? Because I think that there needs to be that acknowledgement of improvement. Our kids have been in the gym We've been doing four-on-ones three or four times a week in the mornings. They've come and, and uh, worked in the evenings with uh, another guy. We have come in to do some training with them just to add some toughness and a little bit of conditioning. And, and right, that, right. that shared suffering, that, that shared sense of investment is going to pay dividends later because you got kids who are bought in and, uh, and, and they've, they've, you know, primed the pump so to speak so i think we're gonna you know we're gonna be here at Cass. we we i think the team last year made state for the first time in a good while but they graduated six or seven seniors and about 80 or 90 percent of their score and so we'll be pretty young and we've got a couple of seniors that'll be you know good leaders for us uh but we'll be probably playing four five six freshmen and sophomores and because of that it really is important to work on leadership and to do a lot of the stuff off the court so I think that you know, our number one goal is, hey, let's win a game and then let's win a region game and then let's, you know, look at making, you know, state and then let's look at, you know, being able to host state. But I think you take it one step at a time. And the first step for us is let's get better today. Let's make sure we make that hundred makes this morning. Let's make sure you get in and do that ball handling workout. Let's make sure you, you know, and, and there's in place early on because I want to establish more than anything what's our work ethic going to be because that's something we control we don't get to control our opponent we don't get to control the referees we don't get to control you know what type of nut coach glaze is going to be on the sidelines but you get to control your work ethic and if you prepare then you're going to take a whole lot of pressure off yourself later on because you're going to know that you're ready to compete at a much higher level than you would have been otherwise so those are the things I think coming in uh, you know, we'll talk about, you know, where we'd like to be into the season, but far more important, we can't do that today. What we can do today is we can get better and we can go out and compete and I can be the most annoying blinker on the court for the guy across from me. Because if I'm making life difficult for him, then he's going to be better when it matters and he's going to be a better teammate when it matters. And so it's those things that we want to go game speed and uh, and those are the conversations that we have is, hey, you get your shots up. Hey, were they game speed? Hey, what are you saying to your teammate? And we're already, you know, in the locker room. We got up some of the phrases they'll continue to hear. They heard a little bit over summer, but they'll continue to hear as you go through the season and through our practices and through our games and into region. And those same phrases they have on the signs in the locker room are the things that I want them to hear from me and that ultimately I want them to hear from each other and inside their own heads because those are the things that are going to make us successful. Yeah, and that's a great um, kind of a segue into my next question is we have here at, at Lake Oconee Academy, we have four core values. Uh, we call it FIST, and that's why I'm really looking forward to FISTitude this year. But it's family, integrity, service, and toughness. Those are our four core values. And what we try to do each day in our practices is teach those values, whether that's uh, through drills, we're, we're always mentioning those values in our practice. 
Um, how do you do that? I mean, do you have core values in your program or I know you have some core principles. Um, how do you do that within your own practice well, and on the court and off the court? Uh, outside our locker room, we have a sign that just says toughness wins. And, and I think that that is such a key for a lot of athletes today is they'll work on skill and we've got some skilled kids, but I think toughness beats skill all week long um, because without toughness, skill gets buried. Um, so we'll do a whole lot of toughness stuff early in the season and throughout the season. Uh, and, and again, a lot of the phrases that we'll work into the culture kind of feed into some of those. One of the things that I would share, not just with you, but with every coach, because again, the idea of core values and, and things that we're going to build as the foundations or the pillars of our program can be incredibly powerful for kids to be able to recognize and understand if they're repeated and become kind of part of that. One of the things that I think that you see, not just with basketball teams and coaches, but with leaders in any industry that I've noticed has occurred, though, is sometimes people will do all this work to come up with their values and they'll put it on the wall and they'll share it. And they understand it's this kind of key, the little catchy phrase, and it's tremendous. And yet the kids, like you're saying, every day in practice, we make sure that we give them an example of what that looks like. And so you're going that step further than a lot of coaches and a lot of administrators or managers and a lot of other industries will go is, hey, once it's on the wall, it's in their heart. And that's not true. Once it's on the wall, that's just the very beginning to get it in their heart. You've got to give them an idea of what does that look like for us? What does family look like? Does family look like when somebody dies on the floor, we've got the other four people going to help her up? That's what you want to point out. So you give them specific illustrations and examples practice in the midst of games in the midst of doing film work where you can give them stories and illustrations and images use as definitions of here's what integrity looks like here's what service looks like this is what it means to us because what's so interesting and working with a number of groups that i've had the benefit of working with is how often people miscommunicate and what I think you mean by that isn't what you meant by that. And so what can we do as coaches to really clarify and to drive home and to give as many illustrations and examples as possible so they know what does that value look like for us? And if they know what it looks like, if they really understand it, then they can go out and emulate it. Yeah, because we can never assume anything, right? Because everybody has a different perspective. I mean, that's, that, it's, it's all about communication. Absolutely. Um, and are we, I, again, it's not only on the basketball court, but it's in your home life. It's all that, that where they can ap- apply these values. Um, my, my last question here is, and, and I thought this was really great, had a lot to do with kind of uh, what kind of person you are. The coach from Cass, the, I think it was the girls coach, Recon, uh, didn't he recommend you for the um, boys job for Cass based on what the job you did at Kill? And don't you agree that a lot of times as coaches, we don't realize the impact we have on other coaches? Yeah, and I think people recognize a whole lot more and, and people watch us a whole lot more than maybe we're aware and, and how we go about not just our practices, uh, but how we go about pregame stuff, how we go about off-season stuff, how we go about trade and film stuff, how we go, you know, each of those conversations and touch points is a chance for somebody to, to judge what type of character 
you have. And, and, I, and one of the things that was most, you know, humbling for me is, again, you go through a 25-year coaching career, and, and uh, you know, there are a lot of those jobs that I was crossing my fingers and, and sending emails and you turn in a notebook and, you know, busting my tail for a great interview because I wanted it so bad. And then as you get older, you're to be invited to a couple of programs because they had learned of your reputation, because they thought that you did a nice job and that you did things the right way. That was an incredible compliment. And, uh, and absolutely, uh, Coach Jackson does a great job here with the girls program. And uh, we knew each other from me being there at Kell for a few years and, and for him to have uh, you know, taken the initiative to, to share my name and, to, and run up the flagpole here to the administration was absolutely something that uh, I am incredibly thankful for. Yeah, that's the ultimate compliment, isn't it? Uh, um, something that that probably means more than anything else. Uh, so, coaches, I mean, if you're if you're listening, um, you know how you act on the sideline, um, how you treat your kids. There's always somebody watching, right, Coach? Absolutely. You never know which eyes in those stands or which eyes on the sideline are eventually going to be coaching next to you or helping you get that next job and. Again, if you always do things the right way, then uh, people are going to notice. Yeah, and that's that's great advice for our players because sometimes players, you know, if we're doing a really, if we're doing a, you know a same drill and it's kind of boring and so forth, it's like always always do it the right way all the time, right? Yeah, and, and and that's something our kids, you know, and the basketball is absolutely a game of boring. If you're going to get good, you got to get really good at boring stuff, and. Uh, and so, you know, our kids and I'm sure your kids and most of the coaches that, that are listening have helped their kids to understand that if you can master the board, if you can get the footwork and the ball handling, the shooting touch and the thousand other things you got to do over and over and over again, that's what makes you great is that repetition uh, of, of that consistent good. And, uh, you know, it's not the drills that change. It's you that changes. So don't tell me the drill is boring. That's just you not being hungry enough to change yourself. And that's one of the things that you know, we try and you know, make our kids understand is unless we're going to do a very similar drill to this throughout the rest of the season. The drill's not going to get old. If you have the privilege of going to play beyond Cass High School or whatever high school that you're coaching at, your kids are going to do very similar drills. The drills aren't going to change. It's their job to change in the midst of the drill because they're going so darn hard. Yeah, I love that. And, of course, the old Kobe Bryant story of, first 40 minutes of his workout was basic. I love that story and video on it. That kids don't work. On. I mean, a lot of coaches don't coach advice. You can appreciate you. Uh, you've been unbelievable. What, what, what is some great advice you provide? If they, What's the best way to do it? Um, well, again, Great Results Team Building is the website. If they were to go on there, you can actually get access. I've got a what's called a toolbox of downloadable activities and uh, all kinds of uh, resources that they can get completely for free. Uh, that as a coach, basically what I wanted to do when I first started the site and first started working with teams is I wanted to give people access to some of the information and some of the, um, you know, ideas and insights and activities that I wish I had had when I was younger. 
so it is absolutely a pleasure to be able to share that. If, uh, if I can, you know, share an idea with a coach, Hey, I got a team and we're dealing with so-and-so, whether it's, you know, building trust or whether it's creating younger leaders or whether it's like you said, you know, each year to try and give them something as a team we're doing together, whether it's a book or, um, you know, I think that those are things that can be very helpful because it's the stuff that you do off the court that really makes you better on the court. Uh, and I think that, that that idea of being intentional, what have you done? What have you built into your weekly practice plan uh, that you know is going to make your team stronger? And then if you got those better relationships and better leaders, you're going to necessarily have a better team. Yeah, that's great advice. And coach, remember now that invitation still holds up to come on. <laughs> All right, so I'll, plus I want to come to you guys play. I know it's difficult as a, another coach, but I'd love to come see you guys. If uh, maybe you're um, a little closer, I don't know who you play out in this area, but uh, I know you play all the big boys out there, but uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. But uh, that would be tremendous. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. And I wish you all the best. And thanks again for joining us. I appreciate all the knowledge you shared with us. Thank you so much, Sean. My pleasure, Coach. Goodbye. Thank you. I'd like to introduce our sponsor, Championship Productions. Championship Productions, the world's number one source for quality basketball instruction, has over 1,200 videos to help you improve your craft and win more games. Learn new drills, plays, and offensive-defensive systems for America's top coaches, including Coach K, Greg Popovich, Gino Ariema, John Calipari, Tom Izzo, Bob Knight, Jay Wright, and many more. Also, if you would like to purchase Open Practice with Ryan McCarthy, I did a recent video review of his open practice, which was absolutely fabulous. Um, you can look at it online. I have it also on my episode number 19. If you would like to purchase this video, visit www.championshipproductions.com or call 1-800-873-2730. This video is available via DVD or instant video where you can view the video on your favorite device. Be sure to download the app so you can favorite your chapters for easy playback. Welcome back, coaches. This is um, Coach Kevin for Kevin Furtado. I'm just giving a little review of our guest, Sean Glaze. I absolutely love the advice that Sean gave. I, I had Here are some key points that I got from Coach, Coach Glaze. Um, First of all, one of the key points he mentioned about teaching leadership is um, have an impact on others, uh, building relationships. Those are those are more important than anything else. Sometimes as coaches, we get caught up into wins and losses, but you have to develop uh, relationships first before you start uh, focusing on the other things. Um, he has a website called Great Results Team Building. Um, and he's very fortunate that he's not only coaching now, but he's also uh, has a a company called Great Results Team Building, where he goes out, work, works with teams, works with uh, companies, works with organizations. Um, and basically, what we kind of talked about was it's all about the human factor, the dynamics of people working together. 
And um, he's just got a great opportunity. He's got a great plate there where he can kind of, you know, work on a lot of the concepts that he's uh, he has developed over the years. Um, one example that he gave was when he was a girls coach at Pope High School, they were 5-21 and 21 his first year. And he was just telling me that uh, the team was, you know, just a little frustrated and so forth. But he said the one thing that him and his coaches felt like they needed to do better was a better job of relationships with the kids. And after they did that, they really started to connect. Um, and it's all about building relationships, in particularly if you're coaching girls, but boys are the same things. Um, so, and one thing that he mentioned was, um, is players and coaches, you need to have them connecting with each other. So connection is so important. And I, I'd asked him on the next question was, what was the difference between uh, coaching girls and boys? Because he's, he's done both. And of course, so, so have I. Um, he says girls take things personally and boys um, don't take, take things personally. They actually look at the person next to them. So when you're speaking, just, just having that insight in the, if you're coaching girls, make sure you kind of really focus on uh, girls will take everything personally. So if you're talking to a group and you say, hey, we're not rebounding, every one of those players are going to say, hey, you know, he's talking about me. Whereas boys are not going to, they're going to actually blame somebody else. It's just a different dynamic there. So a little tidbit that he gave me. Um, one quote that he gave me is, girls connect before they compete. Boys compete before they connect. I thought that was a good quote. Something if you're coaching either gender, I think is very important. Um, and he also mentioned about today's kids that we got to get them uh, interacting socially one-on-one -on -one better. They got great thumbs, but their tongues are not as good. So what he meant by that is they have a tendency to kind of hide behind um, phones and so forth. And we, as coaches, need to get them interacting more within our practices on and off the court. Um, we talked about also one of the books he written with Fistitude. Uh, we're actually, that's going to be one of our books that we're going to have this year and um, what he basically talked about within that Fistitude book is the unexpected leader. It's like there's going to be coaches or kids they are going to be the unexpected leader. And basically what he said was everybody is a leader on the team. Um, they are, everybody is, a, is an unexpected leader. Leadership is influence. So you're going to have kids hopefully um, – have positive leaders on the team, but every kid can be a leader on your team. I did ask him a question about um, the volleyball team that he was working with in, in Cobb County about how to, how to handle mistakes. And um, he really focuses on mental toughness. How do you respond to mistakes? And he mentioned about clapping for mistakes. So you got to own the mistakes, learn from it affirm that you did it and then the last thing is next play move on so and same thing that, that we try to do here but i really thought he's got a step-by-step -step process on teaching kids how to handle mistakes which i think is really vitally important if you're coaching these days because a lot of times kids do not handle mistakes they they compound mistakes with mistakes and we got to teach them how to do that um he also mentioned another great point he said 
you want your players to apologize with effort. So if in transition defense, if I, if I make a mistake, I turn the ball over on offense, apologize with great effort. Get back on defense. Don't hang your head. I thought that was a great term, apologize with effort. We talked about the difference, or actually Sean talked about, we discussed um, the difference between a mistake and a bad decision. A mistake is playing hard. You, you can turn the ball over. That's a mistake. But when you make a bad decision, like if you turn the ball over and then you make a frustration foul right after that, that's a bad decision. That, and we, we both kind of agreed that don't pull somebody out of a mistake, but you can pull them out for a bad decision. And I think that clarity is so important. Um, he was talking about his – he's the new head voice coach at Cass High School – and the first 100 days of his programs, I love what he said. He was just talking about process. And basically what he said was get better today. Um, have a great work ethic. Um, acknowledge improvement of your players. Uh, have a shared sense of suffering. And also work on leadership. And those are things that are his controllables. And I totally agree with that. Um, he didn't talk about, oh, they're going to win the state championship. Obviously that if they do all the things right, I'm sure they can. But he talked about the process getting better today. Um, one of his core values, and it's on the wall, he talks about toughness wins. Uh, toughness beats skills all day long. And that's something that's so important to his program. Um, but again, I, I wanted to thank Sean for coming on. I know he's a busy man, and um, I really got a lot of great points. Um, you can also contact Sean Glaze uh, at his website. It's on, it's, on the, um, it's on the podcast. But I really enjoyed talking to him. And um, um, if you have any questions, you can contact me, Coach Kevin Furtado here at Championship Vision. I'd love to share with you. And um, I just appreciate Sean Glaze coming on. Have a great day. Five players on the floor function as one single unit. Team, 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 right? No one more important than the other.